0: I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth.
1: And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord,
0: who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified,
1: dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead.
0: I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes first from Romans chapter 8 verse 11 and then 22 through 24 and then from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 7. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. And then from Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is God's word.
1: Amen. Thank you, Susan. Uh, Good morning. Welcome uh, to Redie and City. My name is Joe Ragsdale. It's good to be back. Uh, If you don't know, you're probably wondering, who is this guy? Uh, I've been gone for a while. I've been at mostly at Redeemer Southwest about the last uh, year and a half, so it's nice to kind of return home, uh, as you could say. Uh, I'm the communications director here, uh, which you may be wondering, what on earth does that mean? I've never heard of that. And uh, really it really means two things. It means, uh, first off, that anything like print or digital uh, probably happened, you know, from me. And secondly, it means that on holiday weekends, when Jonathan and Drew want to go to the beach, you get me. So uh, if you like what you hear, uh, I'll probably be back up here uh, New Year's Day, you know, that, that weekend. So uh, just plan accordingly. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, it's, uh, it's nice to be back. Uh, I will be, as Brandon said, we're gonna, concluding our series on the Apostles' Creed this morning. Uh, and then next week, uh, Drew returns and we'll begin a long trek into the Book of Romans. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed this, uh, this series uh, of the Apostles' Creed. It's been, uh, it's been cool to look at a document that's been around for 1,700 years, a document that the uh, church has used for centuries to train uh, new believers, uh, and it's been really cool, uh, at least for me. I hope it has for you guys. Uh, and w- one of the things, if you, you know, grew up in a tradition where you know, creeds aren't you know, typically used, you may be wondering, whoa, you know, I thought we're, you know, a Bible people. You know, what, what are we doing looking at this creed? And really a helpful uh, illustration uh, is that of the moon. Uh, so let's, let me kind of use that. Uh, two weeks ago, we had the eclipse. And, uh, you know, maybe if you weren't like me, a cynic and didn't buy the glasses and just kind of look, you know. But So I just saw like a kind of a glaring light. Uh, but if you did buy the glasses or if you, you know, saw the pictures online afterwards, you noticed that the moon appeared black you know there was no light it was kind of blocking the sun and that's because the sun has no or excuse me the moon has no light of its own you know we're used to seeing the moon you know on the evening glowing really pretty and that's because it's reflecting the light of the sun and that's the same way with the creed the creed isn't authoritative it doesn't have its own power or source instead it reflects uh the truth of the scriptures so that's why this whole series we've been looking at the scriptures uh beginning with the creed and kind of pointing us to to where we uh see where these uh, truths come from. So I hope that makes sense. They're companions. Uh, you know, the creed is not our ultimate authority. Rather, it's the Bible. Uh, so this week, we're going to be looking at the final statement, uh, I believe in the life everlasting. Uh, it, you know, probably the best place to go uh, to look for that is the book of Revelation. And it's uh, pretty, I guess, providentially, you could say that we're actually there right now in a community Bible reading. So if you get a chance, you know, skip ahead a couple weeks and read uh, Revelation twenty to twenty-two sometime this week. It really is a uh, an awesome uh, section of Scripture. Uh, I think we wrongfully are kind of freaked out by Revelation. Like, can we be honest about that? And sometimes maybe even just skip it all together because there's weird symbols and whatnot. But there really are a lot of great things that uh, that John wrote for us there. And that's where we're going to be today. Uh, We're going to be. Uh, in chapter 21, verses 1 to 7, uh, and we're really going to be looking at what, what do we believe about eternal life, about life after death. And uh, so, before we get started, I want to offer you some World Religions 101. So, you know, step into our classroom. Uh, we're going to look at some uh, competing ideas of views of life after death. Uh, so, to begin, uh, some strains of Islam teach that if you've been a heroic man, when you die, you get 60 uh, virgins in paradise. Uh, A side note about Islam is that they have no assurance if they'll even get to this paradise. You know, you could keep the five pillars to the best of your ability, but ultimately you have no assurance if you've done enough uh, to merit Allah's approval. Uh, In Buddhism, the goal is to end the cycle of suffering and to cease to exist at all, to just kind of vanquish. Uh, Hinduism teaches that there is a continuous cycle of life and death, and that through karma you're reborn depending on how well you lived your life. So if you've been good and moral, you could become a king or a queen in a future life. But if you've been, you know, bad and a cruel person, you could come back as a cockroach. Really, who knows? Uh, Mormonism imagines a heaven where you could become like a mini-god of your own planet. You know, there's there's a lot of competing views throughout the different religious strains. Even people inside the church have, you know, conflicting understandings of the afterlife. Uh, I grew up in in a in a church with the image, at least for me, my, my understanding of heaven was a place where you dressed in white and you floated around on a cloud, playing a harp forever. Uh, and if I'm you know being honest, uh, that kind of sounded miserable to me. Uh, and aside from flight, flights flights kind of cool, but uh, you know I so as a kid I I knew I didn't want to go to hell, but if I'm I mean, heaven that particular version of heaven wasn't particularly appealing to me either. So uh, I think we kind of maybe missed the mark somewhere on what the end game is for Christians. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because you know, what John describes in Revelation and what Paul describes in his letters, as well as you know, the, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, is a kind of a different view of the life everlasting. Uh, what, what the Bible teaches is that heaven exists now. Uh, if you look back to Jesus' words on the cross to the thief, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. But there is a future world. Uh, to come, that God is bringing about. This is the new city, the new Jerusalem that's coming down. Literally, not figuratively, heaven is going to come down and transform everything. So that's what we're going to be examining today. So if you look at your outline uh, that we provided for you, uh, we're going to be talking about the new heavens and new earth. Uh, So uh, by way of outline, uh, what we're going to see first is that the new heavens and new earth is ultimately what everyone's longing for, whether you're a Christian or not. Secondly, it's better than we could expect and lastly, uh, it's something we can enter into now. So as we begin, uh, we, we were all made for eternity, all of us, whether Christian or not. We uh, have a longing inside of us for another world. Uh, in the books we read, and the TV shows and movies we, we watch, uh, we see it play out time and time again. Disney has built a billion-dollar empire on this idea of uh, you know, the happily ever after. You know, It's almost a universal truth, whatever story you're you know, participating in. Uh, you know, it follows the same arc. Everything's great, the bottom falls out, and then 90 minutes later, everything's, you know, great again. You know, time and time again, even if you're, you know, binge-watching a show and you're like four or five seasons in, you know that eventually, if I keep watching and watching, the good people will win, eventually. Uh, You know, this is almost universally true. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, The Little Mermaid, uh, Lord of the Rings, or all seven or eight, Fast and the Furious, the good people are going to win. You know it. You know it. No matter how bad, you know, the the scene may be, (laughs) you know it's going to happen. You know, good is going to overcome evil. Everything will be made right. Uh, It's part of our humanity. It's part of being made in the image of God that has us longing for the happily ever after. You know, where death is no more, where injustice comes to an end, where war ceases and all the tears are dried. Uh, We see it not only in the stories that we tell, but also uh, throughout history. C.S. Lewis comments on the fact that since every culture no matter the period, writes and thinks about and dreams about the heavens and eternity, it points to the fact that we're not made for the world as it is in this condition. He writes uh, that heaven is the remote music we were born remembering. The whole human race has a kind of deep memory of paradise lost, a faint but powerful awareness that there must be another better world for which we are better suited. So we know, we know inside of us that the world is not as it should be, whether you're a Christian or not. If you watch the news, we see nothing but you know horror stories. There's hatred. There's war. There's exploitation. There's injustice. There's poverty. There's natural disasters. You know, there we know the we know the world is not the way it should be, and that's why you see so many instances outside the church. You know of social justice. You know, you, people are trying to correct what they see. That's why you see, you know, efforts to, to help people in war-torn Sudan, and you see people working uh, to try to save those in the sex slave industry and brothels. Or the civil rights movement was was an action based on this is not how life should be. You know, so from all walks of life, whether you're Christian or not, there is this longing in us that knows that things are out of whack. And Paul talks about this in Romans 8 where he says that we are groaning inwardly as we await the world to come. You know, we long for the kingdom. And what John tells us in this passage is that the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here, and it's actually going to be better than we could expect. Uh, These words from Revelation tell us that there is a new world coming, a perfect celebration where tears are wiped away, where all things are made new. Uh, It's hard to even try to kind of wrap your mind around that because, I mean, our experience it's not like that. How can there be a world made perfect? What will we do there? What will it look like? John gives us a few characteristics of this kingdom. First of all, he says that this kingdom is going to be a restoration of all things. Revelation 21 says that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, there's a couple different Greek words that gets translated as new. In this particular case, the word new is kynos, which means new in the sense of quality, not in the sense of time. So I'm going to use an illustration. Uh, I'm going to use a car illustration. So if you know me, I don't know anything about cars. I can put the key in, turn it, and drive fairly well. I do have a couple incidents, but you know, for the most part, that's all I can do. But uh, bear with me. I'm going to use this car illustration. I think it's helpful. So let's say you have an older car and you decide, you know, it's time, I gotta got get something else. So you go to the dealership and then you uh, trade it in and get a newer model. Uh, that meaning of new is uh, not what John's describing. That's new in sense of time. It's a new car, it's new to you. But to use the car analogy still, what, what, what John is describing here is new in this sense. So you have a car and you wanna begin like a restoration project. You begin, you know, doing whatever people do to restore cars, you know, all this TLC and, you know, transformative stuff. But at the end of the day, whenever your months and however long is over, you would say something like, man, she runs like new. She looks like new. And that's what John's saying. It's the same vehicle, but it has been renewed. You didn't trade it out for a different one. You restored it to its original glory, or even better. And that's what John's describing here. So if you're familiar with the Bible, you may have noticed that the last few chapters in Revelation sound an awful lot like the first few chapters of the Bible. In the beginning of Genesis, we see the creation of the heavens and earth. Here in Revelation, we see the creation of the new heavens and new earth. In the Garden of Eden, there is a river and a tree of life. In the New Jerusalem, there is a garden in the middle of the city and a river. And on the banks of the river is the tree of life. Genesis 3 tells us the story of sin and death and curse. Revelation 20-22 tells us of redemption, life, and the blessing of God. If you, see what, if you see what John is doing, he's telling us that the story of God's rehabilitation of the world... Uh, Revelation give us a, gives us a picture of God undoing the fall and undoing evil and death and the curse. God, God is on a rehab mission. This has been his plan all along. He is making a new kingdom, sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, sometimes called the kingdom of God. And this kingdom, as, as we know, has already been broken into the world with the incarnation of Jesus. But we're hoping for and looking towards the consummation at the end when Jesus returns. And everything, to borrow Tolkien's words, sad, comes untrue. Paul writes in Romans 8:21 and22, and he says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole earth has been created, excuse me, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In the same way that sin has affected us, our relationships, and has kept us from being all that we were made to be, that is also true of creation. Creation has somehow been marred by sin. And uh, because of sin, everything's kind of been thrown out of whack. Uh, John Stott, who is a, uh, a church writer from the 1900s, uh, talked about in his book Basic Christianity that uh, sin has alienated the world or just creation in four ways. The first is that our relationship with God has been marred. Our relationship with ourselves has been marred and that we don't do and live the way we ought to. Thirdly, our relationship with one another has been marred. We have internal conflict, relational conflict, and lastly, the creation itself has been thrown out of whack. And what we see is that the restoration of all things, the end times, the the life everlasting is not only about God redeeming you and redeeming us to be a new people, but it's God redeeming all of those things, our relationship to one another, our relationship to ourselves, and our relationship to the world. Creation will be renewed. Uh, One book that I was reading uh, describes this groaning of creation like this. It says that the created world is standing on its tiptoes like a child waiting for a parade to start. And what John uh, is is saying, that a new heavens, a new earth, he's writing about a liberation. It's a transformative, radical uh, renewal and wiping away of all corruption and decay. And uh, this is really an important application for us. Don't miss this. John tells us that there will be a comprehensive renovation of this world. God is coming to redeem the world, not to abolish it. Don't don't miss that. I, I know, uh, again, I don't know your upbringing, but for me, I had some sort of idea that this world, almost as if God was going to take us away and then destroy it, as if the goal and the aim of the Christian life was to escape earth. Uh, but if you read the scriptures, and what John's making pretty clear here, what you see all throughout else, uh, of the scriptures is that our goal, our end goal was not to leave this world, but rather to see the kingdom of God come here now and ultimately to renew all things. You know, we're, we're not flying away to some sort of spiritual nebulous realm, but rather God is redeeming the world. One day there will be a new winter haven and it will be perfect and will last forever. And it's this fact that ought to drive us to care about mission in the here and now. We ought to care about people. We ought to care about uh, their they're standing with God. We ought to know and uh, be invested in our neighborhoods and our communities, uh, and seek justice and seek love and reconciliation now. Because if if the world's just fading away and God's just going to destroy it, why why get invested? Why mentor at Elbert Elementary? Why partner with Heart from Winter Haven to see you know agencies and people working together for social good? Why plant churches if if God's mission here is just temporary and. You know, he doesn't really care about the earth. Why get involved? Uh, but what we see is totally different. Revelation 21.2 says the holy city, the New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, is coming down. We sang it in the, in the song, What a Beautiful Name, You Brought Heaven Down. And that's, that's what we see. That's, what, that's why Jesus came. The incarnation mirrors these words. Jesus came down. Uh, he came down from heaven to earth, and it was the inauguration of his kingdom, his kingdom here on earth. Uh, Jesus taught us this in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so when we echo his words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying the kingdom down. We pull heaven down to earth. We begin the work that Jesus will complete at the end. And that's why our mission statement as a church is to make the invisible kingdom visible uh, here in Winterhaven. Because we are partnering. We are joining God in his mission that he's already begun. Uh, we're, we're trying to align ourselves with him. Uh, Revelation tells us that God will rid the world fully and finally of all infection, all evil. And this makes way for a new cosmic order where brokenness and suffering and death are banished. Uh, This is what John's talking about in Revelation 21.4. He says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be rest for your trials and your pains and your suffering. You'll have no more enemies. Uh, John continues, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. Uh, the new order that God is bringing about and this life everlasting is an order of peace and joy. None of the evils of the old world can hinder you. Uh, you'll be fully enjoying the presence of God. And, and it's important to understand this because John is writing his letter uh, on the island of Patmos to a people. He's writing to a particular people that are going to go through a terrible time. And he's trying to give them peace and comfort and hope. You know, we often describe our troubles at work and in life like, man, I'm getting thrown to the lions. These people, under the reign of Domitian, they were literally getting thrown to the lions. Like, you know, it wasn't a figure of speech for them. Uh, They were about to endure just unimaginable persecution. You know, Christians at this time were being mutilated, they were being dragged to the streets, some were being lit on fire to light courtyards. Uh, You know, and so what Paul, excuse me, what John is trying to give them is, a hope in a future world, a living hope. So no matter what you're experiencing, uh, you can endure it. Um, Because the way you live now is determined by what you believe about the future. Do you believe that when you die, you rot? Do you believe that nothing matters? Or do you live in a new heavens and a new earth where everything wrong will be made right? That's how you endure trials, clinging to the hope of the world to come. Uh, Howard Thurman was a leader in the civil rights movement. And he said that uh, this otherworldly hope is what many of the slaves clung to during the horrors of their enslavement. Uh, it's recorded that many of them sang songs aimed at the world to come. I don't know if one of them was on Jordan Stormy Banks, but it probably should have been because that was you know, amazing. I'm glad Terry picked it because it fits perfectly, this idea of longing for the future, where, where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. And, and Thurman writes on this fact, it's, it's a fairly lengthy quote, but, but listen to this. He writes that, the facts make clear that singing these songs did serve to deepen the capacity for endurance and the absorption of suffering. It taught a people how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope, and to use those facts as raw material out of which they fashioned a hope that the environment, with all its cruelty, could not crush. I mean, th- I can't even fathom the life of a slave living being owned by another person. But yet, the cruelty of that situation could not crush them because of this hope of a future world. And this reality of the new hope and a new heavens and new earth uh, should give you hope. You know, Even though we're not facing enslavement or lions, maybe you're exhausted. Maybe in your marriage you're thinking, I can't go on, I can't take it anymore. Or you have a job that you just hate. Every day you're just lying in bed, just wishing you could do something else. Or you might be just disheartened by the sorrow in the world, you know, seeing all the, all the tragedy, or maybe it's the darkness of your own heart that you just can't get past, or your loneliness, or if you have chronic pain, uh, where can you get strength for today? Where can you get strength to get through the situation? It comes in the hope of a glorious future. You can try dieting, you can try burying yourself in hobbies, you can switch jobs or marriages or cities or churches. Uh, You can maybe even escape the pain for a few moments, but in order to be sustained, uh, you need a much bigger hope than any of those things. You need a new heavens and a new earth and a new order, knowing that joy and peace is coming, and that's what you need. You need that hope now uh, to endure, Uh, but there's something else. There's something else that differentiates our world now from the world to come, and it's probably the most important thing. It's that God will be there. Revelation 21.3, uh, John writes, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The best thing about the world to come is that God is going to dwell here with us. Uh, this is the hope. This is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. All of you know, the tabernacle and the pillar of smoke and the fire were all these little shadows of God's presence, but we will ultimately have him dwelling with us again. The way it was in Eden, the way it was intended to be, us with God talking and walking together. And we have the hope that that is going to happen. Uh, this new world, uh, this new world to come, it sounds amazing. It really is when you, when you think about uh, just the pain and sorrow of this world uh, at the moment. Uh, you know, it seems a lot better than some sort of you know, nebulous, spiritual, floating destination. But the question remains... How do you enter this place? You know, the unfortunate reality is that not every person will get to experience the new heavens and new earth. Uh, John makes it clear. I I didn't print it for you, but in verse 8, John says, The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That can be hard to swallow. Like I said, I didn't even print that in the worship folders. I do not want you to, like, zone out, you know, when Susan was reading. Uh, that's hard to take in, and this list isn't exhaustive, uh, but it should cause you to pause. You know, you may not be a sorcerer, but I think we can all say we're, you know, we're cowards and liars and sexually immoral and faithless. You know, these words have to describe us. So if these are the people who don't get into the new heavens and new earth, who does get in? You know, verse seven says it's the conquerors. Some translations say the overcomers. But who is that? Do you think that it's the opposite of those things? It's not the cowardice, but the brave. It's not the sexually immoral, but the pure. Uh, it's not the faithless, but the, uh, but the strong. Uh, that's not what John's saying. Who are the conquerors? Who, who are the overcomers? It's not the moral, it's not the upright. You can't even be those things. But look at verse 21, or excuse me, look at 21 verse six. It's the thirsty. uh, John writes, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That is how you get into the world to come, by being thirsty, by asking God for something you cannot pay for. That's the gospel. Salvation comes to us not by being moral, right, or pure. In fact, the Bible says you are not these things. You You get the life everlasting by recognizing that you're not moral, you're not right, you're not pure. We get the kingdom of heaven because we are thirsty for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And we look to Jesus, who was pure and moral and righteous for us. So what we do, the way you get in, is by placing your faith in Christ and drinking from him, the spring of water, without payment. Uh, C.S. Lewis closed his Narnia series uh, in the last battle uh, with this paragraph. It's rather lengthy, but uh, it kind of describes all of this that we're talking about today. He writes... And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that had begun to happen right after were so great and beautiful that I cannot truly write them. And as for us, this is the end of all stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning in chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which was gone forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Uh, you see, the life everlasting, uh, it's something we can endure into now. Uh, in God's providence, not only did I preach the sermon last week at Southwest, but also uh, both weeks I had to attend a funeral of a, of a Christian. So it's kind of unique how God worked that out. And in these funerals, there, yeah, there was tears and people were sad, but ultimately there was hope. Is that these people were united to Christ. They, they drank from the well of which they could not earn and could not repay. And that's why the friends and family weren't sad or weren't without hope. Because they knew that their loved ones not only experienced the kingdom of God now, but even in a more better, glorious way now that, they've got, now that they've died. You know, the resurrection of Jesus, his victory over sin and death, was the inauguration of the new heavens and new earth. And so those that are found in him by faith can experience the hope of everlasting life here and now. Jesus dealt the death blow to death. So if you're in Christ, you can live with the assurance that this world as it is now, with its pain and its suffering and its brokenness, is just the prologue. Just like Narnia, all the adventures, is just the beginning. Uh, it's not our final destination. Uh, but death is now an entryway into the new world, the new heavens and new earth, where we, will be our, we, me, where we will be with our Lord in resurrected bodies, resurrected just like him, dwelling together on earth, just as God has always planned and promises to bring about. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you came not only to save our souls, but save our bodies and our world uh, and humanity. Father, you are, you are saving a people. You are renewing all things to their former glory and to their future glory. So Father, we uh, pray that we can align ourselves with you as we live here on earth, that we could cling to the hope of the world to come, that we could uh, align ourselves with your mission of bringing the kingdom of God here in Winter Haven Polk County in the world. So Father, help us view where we're at as a mission field. Help us to get engaged, to, to, to think with a big picture, the, the end game that you are renewing this earth, that you long for this earth and this world to be redeemed that you long for us uh, to bring your kingdom ultimately and fully uh, here on earth. So, Father, give us hope for today. Uh, No matter what trials we're going through, no matter what suffering we might be enduring, Father, uh, give us the hope and assurance uh, that you will be true to your word. You will see uh, heaven come down uh, in all its glory uh, one day. So, Father, uh, we pray in your name with full assurance and full hope uh, that you are a covenant God that keeps your word and that gives us great hope. So, Father, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. We, we all want something more, some, something new, something better. And that something that we all want is life everlasting. And, and we will get it. That day will come, brothers and sisters in Christ. But, but until that day comes, uh, we have this, this blessing, this promise of God over us. So please receive the Lord's blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his face towards you be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.